back at the College Hill Rec Center, the very place I began. I never could have imagined when we started doing this podcast, all of the things I'd learn, the people I would meet, and the way that I would change. But I did meet people who changed my life. And three of the people who changed my life the most are the ones I'm sitting with now. Tony, Olympia, and Jake. The people from Be The Bridge. The people who hired us to tell the story of College Hill. People who I've come to love and appreciate more than you could possibly know. In today's episode, I'm just going to sit and talk with them. Get their take on all of this. See where we're at. Spend some time. I do want to say, as we as we start, this has been uh, fantastic for me personally. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know that many people, honestly. I, I don't know that many people, white or black or otherwise, would ever get an opportunity to do the things or ask the questions that I have done or be in the situations that I've been in the last six months of my life. Right. Because a lot of um, the conversations that we've had lingered with me ongoing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then so I know that I have really been changed by this process. I think I've been I've been challenged by this process. I've also found certain uh, parts of it that were much easier than I thought they would be. And certain parts, I think, were much harder than I thought they would be. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about Be The Bridge because, you know, as the sponsor of the podcast, this is the, the basic idea to even do this, right, came out of your group. Yes. You know, um, and so tell me a little bit about how the group started. How did Be The Bridge even begin? Oh, fearless leader, would you like to <laughs> speak first on that? You're, you, y'all are the leader. But um, we, you, Tony and I, were, we, back when Black Lives Matter movement started, um, and correct me if my memory is wrong here, but I started lamenting to Tony how my my white friends locally were, were responding to Black Lives Matter. And... <laughs> That it was like we were so fragile, we we couldn't take that Black Lives Mattered, mm-hmm. that we had to respond with anger at that movement. Right, sure, and I was, yeah. I was really confused as to why why I had white friends locally who just refused to champion or celebrate or honor Black Lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a friend that around that same time, uh, the flood in in Houston happened. Yeah, and a friend of mine said something really profound that saying all lives matter at this moment would be like, I know Houston's flooding, but all cities matter. That's right. Don't send any extra resources to Houston because all cities matter. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just that I started lamenting to Tony, and we were at the same time United Way locally mm-hmm. had hosted Leroy Barber yeah. for a conversation on race. And after that, we said with a group of people, uh, some United Way and Tony and I, 
what are we going to do from here? Like that was a great session, mm-hmm. yeah. but we can't just leave it there. We've got to get people in the same room. Yeah. And Tony or somebody f- heard about Be the Bridge and the curriculum specifically. I think that was Sarah. Sarah Heratine. That's mm-hmm. right. So she suggested, "Hey, here we didn't know where to start. You know, yeah. how do you, how do you have this conversation? And we didn't want to just create yeah. something. So Sarah suggested this curriculum that we looked at, and it was great. And um, from the very beginning, we our very first meeting, we had thirty or forty people in yeah. the room, yeah, yeah, and pitched the idea, and it was immediate conflict. Immediate it blew up. <laughs> people, we don't need this, or I don't want to do this because the curriculum is, is Christian, Christian based. based. And there were people who thought that was terrible. It was just no unity in the room at all mm-hmm. around the idea. So we almost, not very many people from that first meeting ended up in the first group. Right. But Tony and I co-hosted a group uh, that ended up being... Uh, just about equal six or seven black individuals and six or seven white individuals mm-hmm. and I was the only white male in the group <laughs> uh, and it has been the most humbling and one of the most rewarding things mm-hmm. I've been a part of it's probably one of the most major monumental thing that I've done in my life you know the a lot of the conversations I think that we've had I when we started uh, this conversation between us, mm-hmm. and I said to you all, you know, that I probably had, I think I said, I have three black friends, <laughs> one is in this room, and it was Tony, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, Tracy was one, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Chuck Swafford is one, and that was really it for me wow. since Michael Laney moved. Um <laughs> And so, you know, Michael is my friend to the extent that he can have friends. <laughs> I don't mind him hearing this. He'll know what I mean. But, uh, you know, you, you can only be so much friends with a former professor, really, yeah, right? I you know, he's you. he's the general, and, uh, you know. Right. Uh, but I don't know that I've ever told you guys this story, but I've been waiting for this to tell oh, you cool. a story of a, of a young Rob Alderman who I would sit in the um, Dixon Center of Lee University in their lobby with uh, protest signs of all sorts of different versions. Just I would write up, I would protest different things. And every day, Michael Laney would walk in. And, and so for those of you listening to the podcast, Michael Laney, was a com- he was a communications professor. He's done many great things in his life. He has more accolades, you know, in the world of leadership than I, I know how to count. But at the time, he was my comm professor. And he would come in and he would say, Mr. Alderman, what are you doing? And I would say, I'm fighting the man. And he would say, he would say, and which man is that? And I said, Laney, the man is neither black nor white. The man is a state of mind. And he would say, as you were. And he would go up to his <laughs> And I, I did this for months. I mean, I just, wow. I, I consistently would find something to protest. I'd write it out on a sign and I would protest, right? And so it, it was funny that later on, when we were looking for ways to keep this podcast honest, mm. that I, would, I called him. 
and reached out to him, you know, years later to say, okay, so now I really am fighting the man. (laughs) 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 And I need your guidance, right? I, I need, I need you to, uh, really a part, a large part of what people won't know about this podcast is the extent to which everyone involved in it has really done what they can to keep the conversations honest Mm. and on track and in the will of the community. And uh, even, um, you know, I mentioned Michael Laney hasn't had much to do with this process other than saying, right, at any point that you have a question, Right. Because we had to be very careful even how I've interacted with all of you. Right. (laughs) Because I needed to make sure that I went into every interview as clean Mm -hmm. uh, and clear as I could. Right. Um, And and so even on the back end of this podcast, one thing I think people won't necessarily know unless we tell them is, you know, I have had, uh, you know, this older black mentor who's been my mentor in communications and now in race relations, kind of on the back end of this, as well as the fact that all of you have worked with Tanae and Britton on the other side of this podcast so that I had very little knowledge of anyone that I was going to interview or what that was going to be. In fact, I never read the questions even until... Uh, the parking. I would read the questions in the parking lot before I walked in, only to make sure I didn't stumble yeah. on them. So we've really been very careful. And I wanted to say to that end, I wanted to ask you all, um, what is it that you think in the all of these little details, all the little things that we've done? Why did you want to protect this this much? Very rarely does anybody, even when they care about something, go to such lengths to do things in the very specific order, the people that we interviewed, the order that we interview them in, where we interview them. Everything had such a a level of intentionality to it. I want to know I want to know about that. I don't think people can even begin to imagine the level of intentionality that you have all had in the in this process. Take it first. I remember when we've had our first meeting when we were going to discuss the plan and execution of the podcast and that first day I said, and I'm here to make sure that we keep the integrity of the project. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it is important to me. We had goals going in as a group, and Tony, Jake, and I, what we wanted to gift to the community mm-hmm. and to make sure that our intentions were followed through from beginning to end and that we didn't lose our way in that process. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think we also realized that <clears throat> this wasn't just a good idea um, via coming out of our group. Um, It came out of a discussion of reparations 
which is mm-hmm. a word that nobody Good. really I'm, likes. No, I'm glad that you said it. No, I love it. No, I love it. Now, I, I, I'm glad that you say that. Yeah. Go deeper with that because I think. Well, you know, we, we all we can we can sit here and talk. Of, we don't have enough time. No, but but I do. Go but no, what I mean though is, well, I don't. I don't necessarily mean it that way though, Tony. I mean. Right, white people. I'm going to say it clear, right? Like, I'm the interviewer now. I get to ask questions. Yes, this is the did. only one where you guys didn't give me questions. <laughs> but, but so white people think reparations means money. giving black people money. Yeah. yeah. That's what they believe it means. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, the, the funny story about that is so part of the Be the Bridge curriculum, you deal with reparations toward the end. Yeah. And on one of our last sessions, we all felt so inspired by this group. It truly was an amazing process and group. Right. And we all felt so inspired that we wanted to do something. So I came in as the white man <laughs> and made a suggestion that had all those implications of us giving money uh, to something. And my black friends <laughs> said, bad idea. They're like, you're so white about this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, at right. the end of that, that it, we ended up going 13 weeks. So there were 13 weeks in, and I still haven't learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. But what the, my, our black friends in the group said, what we, we need, because we were all inspired by the history of this story of College Hill and, and all the mm-hmm. things that happened here locally that you hear about in history books and in classes. But I have always pictured like New York City or Baltimore, Detroit. You know, when you talk about urban renewal and redlining. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the fact is, is that that's a huge part of our story. And our black friends were like, what if we dignified College Hill by telling the story of the people, of their strength and their dignity, but the truth, how this happened, uh, so that there could be, you know, part of the Be the Bridge, there's lamenting, there's mm-hmm. celebrating. So it could be all of those things, but people could mm-hmm. experience it in the privacy of their own car, where right. they might be more likely than to come to a big event where we try to talk about these things. Cause as everybody knows, the people who most need to be there wouldn't be the ones that showed up. Right. So yeah, that, that was that this idea came out of the idea of reparations mm-hmm. in the form of telling a story about a group of people. Which we believe is priceless. Right. There's right. The, let's put a value to it though. Right. But it's priceless mm-hmm. because when you really think about what, um, People of color are people, and let me just speak from mine because I can only speak from that point of view. Uh, people of the black race, when going back to slavery, and yes, I said it, and coming forward, when you look at everything that happened, um, the lives that were lost, um, mm-hmm. the lives that were um, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, but People were not only physically killed, but they were spiritually killed. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at that, there is no amount of money. Right, right. <laughs> there well, is it. no amount of money yeah. that could pay yeah. or repay. And so mm-hmm. we, and I know in my heart, it was just, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, God, you know me. God, what are you saying? What right, is right, the right, gift? Right. And it, the gift is telling the story. Yeah. But it's even bigger than College Hill. Mm-hmm. It's even bigger than Cleveland, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That we all felt that this was a beginning of a movement, a process that can be modeled 
whether it's Cleveland, Tennessee, or Cincinnati, Ohio, or New York City, that mm-hmm. there are stories mm-hmm. of a community uh, that need to be heard, mm-hmm. and the truth needs to be told yeah. about those stories. Yeah. And so we really believe that this is groundbreaking, not only for our community, but it's something that can be mm-hmm. modeled sure. and used to mm-hmm. build bridges between communities. Mm-hmm. When you talk about reconciliation, racial reconciliation in particular, and um, the obstacles and the challenges that people face, a lot of times there are incidents that occurred or relationships that were broken mm-hmm. that were unresolved. And yeah. part of the Be The Bridge curriculum is about people sitting down and having conversation with one another. And so it was important for us to be able to model not only how you do that in a group, in a room, in a small group, Mm-hmm. but on a larger scale in the community mm-hmm. of sitting down and talking to one another about things that may have been painful, things that inspire us, right. happy memories. And um, I think this is a good example of that. Yeah, it is. It really is. Are you enjoying listening to College Hill? We sure hope so. And if you are, we'd love you to know that this was made possible through the generous donations of the United Way of the Ekoi region. The United Way does so many things in the community. From helping people with poverty to education, the United Way is focused on every community that they're in, and that is especially true of the United Way of the Koi region. Once again, here's College Hill. Well, I think, you know, one of the interesting things that's occurred over the course of the months where we've been working on this podcast has been that it's... Uh, the idea, the use of the word reparations <laughs> has been really one of my um, tools when I've been talking about this to white people, right? Because it's like um, when white people have asked me about the podcast and I tell them that it sprang out of a conversation about reparations. Well, that's awesome. Like it, it shocks, right? It shocks the conversation immediately like, Oh, I've never thought about reparations being that, right? Like, what does reparations really, really mean? And I love, like, like I love it when a dialogue can start where um, where things were bogged down before, right? So, like, it's it's a funny thing if if white, let's say, if a white person says, "Well, that doesn't make any sense." If we give all the black people some money. It doesn't make racism go away. So what's the what's the point, right? Like, like it's such a that's my white man voice. I guess <laughs> I just, oddly, I sound, it sounds a lot like me, but older me, I guess. <laughs> um, but but like, but what's interesting is when you can smash that paradigm and say no, like here's a group of black people who were like. When the conversation came up, they were like, why don't, why don't you help us tell our story, like tell the story of, of like our people here locally in this part of town? And it, it's like the mind gets blown, right? Oh, well, that's awesome. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> and so I think so much 
of this, if, if people only took one, if people only took one thing away from this podcast, from me, I, you know, I can't speak for all of you. I'm sure all of us on this journey have something that's deeply personal to us about this, right? Mm-hmm. But my my thing would be, um, put yourself in positions to have real conversations. Um, I have changed so much as a result. You know, I think week one, I posted in on Facebook, you know, I would like to have more black friends. How do I have more <laughs> on Facebook? <laughs> right. And people were like, what on earth are you doing? What are you saying? What are you even doing? You know? And I had like, I had black people posted like, oh, honey, <laughs> like, what are you doing? And I, and I had white people saying the same thing. But it was funny how positive it was. You know, so many people, I, I had black people posting on my Facebook. If you figure it out, tell me, you know, and, and but, but. What can we do other than to have a have a, a dialogue with a with a, a person that we normally wouldn't? And I, and I, I think this is a, a, one of those places where people can get stuck. Um, I think white people can get stuck there. I think minorities can get stuck there. We think sometimes that if we have to manufacture something that isn't real, like if I have to go out of my way. To have this dialogue that somehow it's contrived. Mm. But these have been just the most wonderful, real, honest conversations that I've ever had with anybody. And um, so I challenge that. I defy that, you know, at the end of this. Like, I defy not going out of your way. I defy, like, lying to yourself and saying you shouldn't purposefully start a conversation with somebody uh, uh, that is a different a different culture and a, than, than you are. You know, so Jake, I wanted to talk about something that, you know, you said to me privately. I don't think it was in I don't think it was in confidence. But it was a conversation you and I had, okay? Now, I know it makes you nervous. It's all for, good. For those of I'm you who don't know, this is I'm getting is a, more used to it. Yeah, Jake Jake is this isn't Jake's favorite, right? Kind of thing. But so you said to me early on, um, when we were talking about how we were going to make the podcast work and you said, you're going to find out that you're going to say, um, I would love to tell your story and that their first reaction is going to be not really, you don't. Right. And then you're going to say, no, I really, I really, really do. And then they're going to say, Oh, no, like you're a loving person, but you don't know what it really means to tell the story and you don't care and you don't really know how to care. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was a good, um, that conversation really, uh, prepped me to get myself, um, as humble as I could before I heard anybody, right. Say a word. But what in to you, right? My question to you is: Here we are now, right? We're eight months now from our first conversation that we ever had about this, and you're sitting here with Tony and Olympia, right? Where do you find yourself in your own journey as far as the conversations that you're having and the relationships that you have, 
you know, in the in the community? That's a great question, Rob. I I um, so we for those who don't know, listeners, we we adopted a son from Ethiopia who is black and a son from India who's brown uh, over um, almost a decade ago now, and we 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 wanted relationships in the black community for both of them. Uh, we want them to have black mentors and black friends and not to be right. completely isolated. So we, we've kind of been somewhat intentional to have these conversations for a long time. And, and I would say that the progression, um, when, when, I, when I told you that, we, it was a really specific context where my organization had a grant available right. that was available to the College Hill neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And people would come in and sit down and I would say, I want to hear your story. And that was the response over and over again. Kind of a laughing, like, no, you don't. And then, no, really, I do. And then there was, there was like, this moment of for real. And then oftentimes it would end up in a two-hour, like, mm-hmm. just uh, almost like, yes, I would do want to tell my story. I just didn't know that you were for real. So I, I think that now I have a, a circle of friends, Tony and Olympia are in, and others that I'm, it's, like, past that. Like, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but. That mm-hmm. we know we need each other. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's not that. Oh, you don't. You don't want to care, or you don't really care. You don't want to know. We're we're past that with us. A certain circle of friends, and I hope that that keeps becoming more and more. Where there's this like mm-hmm. mutual. Yes, we do want to know more about each other. And the sad fact is that Cleveland. Nobody would that grew up in Cleveland would say, well, from a white white perspective people wouldn't say there's there's an extremely racist problem mm-hmm. but you have to dig under that and just realize how separate right. we have been like completely separate so it's almost like worse than racism in that we've never been close enough to be racist right from from the from the white person's perspective yeah um so it's like a journey to toward each other right convincing each other we both care we mm-hmm. both need each other and then there's this tipping point where I don't even it, it wouldn't even cross my I, th- I honestly think don't don't hurt my feelings but I think literally if somebody <laughs> came in this room with a gun Tony I'm going to I'm going to tear up on y'all but Tony and Olympia would take a literally they'd take a yeah. bullet for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that is the mm-hmm. that's way past you don't really care. Right. You don't, yeah. You know. Well let's I don't talk know if I'm yeah, answering no, that right. But. No, I think you are. I don't think you can answer it wrong, you know. Um to, to quote my wife, you're doing it just right, Jake. <laughs> you're getting Quoted it just right. Wife you're getting it just Uh-oh. right. But yeah, like I, I quote the queen of kindness, right? <laughs> so I think to piggyback, I guess, a little bit on like Jake, what you, what you were just saying, like let's pivot this to Olympia then. Like, uh, um, you know, you and I didn't know each other at, at all, right? And I would say, I mean, I would say now that we are friends, um, for sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to speak. Yeah, I don't want to speak for you, but but I do. I, I, the reason that I bring it up, based on what Jake is saying, is from your perspective, this whole journey, right? We know what it's like to be a white person saying, "No, I really care," right? But what about you? Like, what about from a black perspective to hear white people saying we care? Like, could you give your perspective? You know, I think there's never any question 
that you care as much as you know to care, know right. how to sure. care from your experience and your perspective. But the further down the road to racial reconciliation and conversation about race, you know, we've talked a lot about changing personally, the changes that take place. Mm-hmm. And you realize that there are things that you just didn't know and that our experiences are different. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us personally, Rob and I, when we first met, and I and I was like, okay, Rob, you're nice. We'll work together on this project. But there really wasn't a lot of emotional connection between the two of us. And I would even say that that was largely on my part. <laughs> because I had put a wall up. <laughs> I, oh, I had sure. because I thought that you not that you didn't care about the project, right. but that you didn't care about me personally. Sure. So we were just going to be working partners together. Sure, sure. And then as we took time to go through this process together, and I did see you in situations like that day that you just mentioned, and I've learned throughout this process how much you do care about what you're doing, mm-hmm. that any preconceived notions that I may have had about how you felt about me or how much you were mm-hmm. invested in this process, those things changed. And I had to be big enough to say, okay, I need to look at this from a different perspective. And I actually, even before I said, Rob, I love Rob. Now I do. I love Rob. And I started to feel those affections towards you mm-hmm. as the weeks went on and on, but I still wouldn't have said it to you in the beginning. <laughs> That's what a lot of people don't. <laughs> and I understand you better because we've spent time together right. and we've talked about difficult things and we don't always agree on everything and we see things from two completely different mm-hmm. points of view. But I respect you and you're my friend and I do love you and have grown as a team just like I do with Jake and Tony like we're a team we're working as mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. so even after that day that I had put your my hand on your shoulder and said okay you're doing fine even after I went home I was like okay let me just call Rob and check on him yeah you did you did <laughs> and it was awesome I was on my way home it's actually almost home and you called and you were like hey that was good that was gonna mm-hmm. be great that went it went ways we didn't know it was gonna go but it was great and um and I said, Rob, just don't think about it too much. Right, because, you yeah. know, black people, we deal with racism and stuff all the time. Like, at some right, point, you right, just right, have to right. take it and put it somewhere yeah. so that you can fight another day. It's about mental health. So there's been a lot of times throughout this process where I'm just like, don't think about it too mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. Just put it somewhere. Uh, yeah, I, I will say, where you, you want to say something? Well, I just think, I just want to bring this back full circle that it is exactly what Be the Bridge is all about. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right yeah. And the journey we took, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be nine weeks, but we went 13 weeks. <laughs> right. But it was the journey that we right. took. There were barriers that had to be broken down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you care, and but the black community was like, no, you really don't <laughs> yeah, care. Okay, we, like, we've okay, heard that, okay. We've heard that and we have, right? And that's what I, I just want to say that we have. Yeah. So we have this wall up, and it's more mm-hmm. out of protection mm-hmm. than yeah. anything, because 
when you walk away in your mind, you're going, oh, my God, wouldn't it be wonderful if they truly cared? Right. Yeah. But you have been uh, taught. Yeah. But you have, you, you know, people want to ask, as a people, how have you been able to sustain? How have you mm-hmm. been able to still grow and thrive? Um, you know, I think, Rob, you asked um, Vice Mayor Avery Brooks that because of his temperament. Oh, Johnson. Oh, Johnson. Ooh, I got both, both of them <laughs> both, mixed both up. Both mayors I got put to, them together. It's okay because they're friends. <laughs> it is. And they have a special yeah. relationship. They have a great relationship. So right that now. is wonderful. Yes, uh, Vice Mayor Avery Johnson. But, and how he, his demeanor, the whole time he talked about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And you had you had trouble understanding. That was one of my hardest interviews. Yes, because he wasn't yeah. as feisty as I get. Well, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the interesting things about the whole, right, so uh, this is, if you were to ask any white person, right, we would never, ever say all white people think the same. Mm-hmm. The only time when we start to think that groups of people all think the same is when we try to approach race. Mm-hmm. And so... It's well, white people are like this. Well, white, well, black people are like this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, just as uh, I'm just as susceptible to that kind of groupthink as anybody is. And to go in, the thing that I kept thinking about when with Vice Mayor Johnson was, why is this guy not enraged? Yeah, you know. And and it was interesting. I vocalized that to him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't know, I'm just calm. And then I've, I vocalized that to other people. And it was funny, I got different answers. Some people said, well, no, he is enraged. He's just learned to keep calm. Other people were like, at some point you have to let it go. He's not, he's reached a Zen-like state with this racism, right? And so it was funny, like even within the black community, they're very different takes on why somebody could say, well, like the, the closest I could get to having a good job was a caddy on the golf course. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was big time because there's only one black caddy and it was me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just like, white people, right, burn the world down. <laughs> At that point, it's like, are you kidding me? I'll, you know, and, and it was just for him to be that calm. It was it was it was unnerving for me. I, I, I don't know what I expected. I tried to have no expectations. I tried so hard to have no expectations. Uh, but his interview really. It did. If if I'm honest, I he had reached such a a level of I you know even grace towards it all because it's not that there wasn't an grace. understanding right it there is was grace. there's this grace and I've used I've actually fallen back on that multiple yes. times in my conversations with Olympia when I have said uh, you know and, and this bear saying on the podcast I don't think I've ever said it so you know for people who are listening I don't I want to make sure we don't edit this out is this. When you start a meaningful relationship with somebody, right, very often that relationship starts one-sided. And sometimes one person takes advantage of another person or, uh, you know, a a lot of times it's one person giving somebody grace, right? And um, I really, I feel like so much of the client, uh, 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 climate, sorry, where people, white people are having trouble speaking is because there is at least an awareness 
that we've talked too much, that we've taken advantage, right? That that and and, get, and understand, I see this even in racists. Okay, there's at least a general understanding now that like racism is real, that it has occurred, that it is bad, right? Uh oh, now what do we do? The problem is a vacuum is bad. And so I've actually used the words with Olympia before. I feel like if we could say, I know we have no right to talk. I know that you have given grace upon grace upon grace. But if we can somehow create a two-way dialogue, that's where health is, right? Health isn't that white people just shut up. That's not at all. Like, my whole life is enriched by the, the give and take of this group, of the conversation. Like, every interview that we've done in this podcast, every single person that I've talked to outside of this podcast, my life is enriched not because I sit silently, but because they love me and want to know how I am also. And that is health, right? And so this grace, right, that I feel personally is, is my own opinion has been extended time upon time upon time upon time over and over the Zen state like what the mayor exemplified if we can go from that to a point of meaningful back and forth that's what a healthy friendship is right a healthy friendship isn't like I I know one thing. I don't. I mean, maybe each of you can answer this because you might have very different ideas about what I'm about to say. But like, I don't want to be colorblind. I've heard that used over and over and over again in the world. But like, I never want Tony to not be black, and I don't ever want to not be white. I want to live in the fullness of our friendship, like exactly how we are. And even in those moments, you know, we make jokes about you being intense. I've always known you as my passionate friend. So none of that was really that surprising, right? It's like, and and it wasn't surprising for you being in our relationship, right? When I say that, you know, you're one of three black friends that I had previous to this podcast. You can get as intense because you have right? right we've been intense about the homeless together oh, we yeah. have been in, we have been in, right we've been intense about people who needed to eat yes. food together we've been intense about people relearning to read together so we can be intense about yeah. systemic racism together right. right and so i loved having like that hurricane tony around me <laughs> right and then like the, right, and then like the zen master olympia right like both things yeah. are true right that is so both true. of those things are true yeah. and so um I just feel like I have too much of life that I want to live, the fullness of you as my friends. That I don't, I, now I view that term, everyone should be, if everybody was colorblind, things would be better. No, if everybody was colorblind, things would be boring, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think... You know, I have no idea. We're wrapping up this podcast. You know, this will probably be the final podcast people listen to, but we have like one or two more to record. You know, we're right. almost we're almost done. And I've started myself thinking like, where does this go from here? You know, like like I am I'm passionate now. You know, before I cared, I really did. And even if it took convincing somebody. But now I'm like, don't you get it? 
Don't you understand? It's like I want a world that's like got all the fried chicken and all the casseroles and like all the Hurricane Tony and all the Zen Master Olympia, right? I, like I want all of it. I want to live that life. Does that make sense? So I want it does. I want this fullness, you know. But that came about to the point I was making, but it came about the fact that people met each other around a table. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And over a period of so many weeks, broke down barriers, broke down walls, started um, to love in such a way that I would think that Abba would be is proud. Right. And it's all a part of his original plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I'm saying is, this is how it should be done. Right. This is, um, it's not about forcing, and you know, a lot of people, I know this is going to be a controversial <laughs> remark, but it's not about a whole lot of forcing this, forcing that. It's about, if we force anything, then come to the table. Come to the banquet table, and I'm talking biblically. Come to that table and taste and see and allow Abba Father to release reconciliation up on the community. Mm-hmm. Because we know this works. We know we're living this process. And we know that if more people would come to the table and have these heartfelt, not hard, but mm-hmm. heart felt conversations and come with an expectation of really getting to know one another we could make so much we could let me put it this way we would begin to build the bridge across the racial divide that is going on in this country and this is needed. We got to do it. And, and we know this works. I'm going to stop here. But we know this works. And just like that, this part of the journey is over. But I know that the real journey never ends. We always need to be reaching out to the people who are around us. Meeting new friends. Learning about their culture finding out about their history and what matters to them. That's what makes life incredible. As we pull this podcast in for a landing, I do think it's important to say thank you to some people. And I'm going to do that now. To be the bridge, Tony, Olympia, Carolyn, Jake, thank you so much for inviting me in and asking me to tell this story. To the United Way, thank you so much for making it possible. And to my team members at the Alderman Group, I love you all, and you've really poured yourself into this project. 
There's no way it could have been done without all of you, specifically Tanae and Wes and Robert Briggs. So for the final time, on behalf of Be The Bridge and the Alderman Group, this was College Hill. <laughs>